Behind the Shades. So from, you know, 20 on of just falling off every cliff I could find and getting into worse and worse situations. So, you know, you start out, oh, I'll just see what this is going to feel like. Or, and, you know, you wake up and you're in this place of complete desperation where you are just completely lost and confused. And I finally got to the point where I just said, you know, I'm tired of getting beat up. I am tired of being a victim. I'm tired of feeling powerless. There's got to be another way. There's got to be something <laughs> that I don't understand that I could be doing that would mean my life is going to get better. And that began almost another 20 years of learning. The only difference was I stopped falling off the cliff. Now, at least I was getting little handholds in the cliff as I was needing to scale back up. But what a difference not falling off the cliff <laughs> can make in your life. <laughs> and now I, have, now I have this wonderful understanding of who we are, what we are here for, what life is meant to be, and who can help us. So I, I say to Mother God, probably on a daily basis, if this was the only way for me to get here, and I ever forget everything you've taught me, you can throw me off the cliff again, because this was the most incredible thing I have ever experienced. And so I am happy to experience all the bad again, just to be at this place. So for those who are still lost in that place of victimhood, who believe they are powerless or too broken to be healed or too unworthy to receive some kind of help, please know that that is absolutely incorrect. You have learned from someone else who may be broken or who may be repeating something they have learned or who may be holding a position of power that they have not earned. And so if something doesn't feel right to your heart, if somebody says to you, you know, why do you think that you, are, you have any value and it hurts your heart? I want you to look deeper. I want you to say, hey, wait a minute. That, that really hurts. That doesn't feel good. Please don't take these things. That's what I did. Oh, you don't think I have any value? Oh, you must be correct. Oh, you are older than I am. You know more than I am. You're more educated than I am. Whatever. Don't, don't let anybody tell you a lie and your heart will know. Even if you are locked in a place where you are feeling less than because of the way that you've grown up or whatever circumstances you may be in right now, if somebody were to come to you and say, you know, you just, 
don't have much of value to offer, your heart is not going to be okay with that. And I want you to, you don't have to argue with the person. I just want you to tuck into your heart that feeling of, hey, that wasn't okay. I don't feel good about that. And then when you do have time, go into the heart and start unpacking that. Start looking at why you might have attracted somebody that would say that to you, and then what you can do to make yourself feel better and stand up and be proud of who you are so that you begin attracting people that will be uplifting and honoring to you, who will see the real you. Marcia, do you find, because there's a few things that you mentioned that I want to unpack a little bit here. Um, one, I think at every point in our lives, everyone, me, you, everyone, has felt like a victim or has felt a situation has victimized them because you can have a situation that on the outside, you're like, I can't believe I went through that. It was so bad. <laughs> but you don't feel like you're a victim because you don't parade yourself that way. And then you can have another situation when in comparison is not as bad, but you feel defeated, powerless. You feel like a true victim. You feel like someone has taken something from you. Is there some comfort, maybe a little bit, in feeling like a victim? Because at least that way you can look at life and say, I need to do something now because I don't like the way that I'm feeling. Wow, that is so insightful and so interesting. I try to move people out of that idea of victimhood as quickly as I can because most of the people that I work with have been through exceedingly traumatic experiences. And the last thing that I want them to feel is that they are powerless and that they can be a victim because they've already been victimized so many times by people that they perceive have some sort of power over them. So the first thing we do is together is look at how powerful they really are. First of all, you're incredibly courageous and powerful to have survived whatever this trauma was. But I never find being a victim helpful. At least it didn't, it wasn't for me. When I felt victimized, I believed there was nothing that I could do to change the circumstance. So I would just have to put up with it and dwell on it and be more ashamed of it or feel worse about me because of it. And I wasn't doing anything proactive to move myself out of the situation whether I had the information or not, I found for myself that victimhood kept me kind of in a box. So I might have the information, but it was outside of the box of being a victim. And being a victim made me so afraid that I didn't want to get out of the box to go use that information. Is that box something that you teach your, um, your clients? how to break out of by first identifying it and then providing them with the resources to correct the behavior and to move forward? Yes, I think that's a really good 
I mean, they'll tell you the box doesn't exist. But when you are in the box, you believe more than anything that this thing is real and it's bigger than you and it has the potential to hurt you. Or uh, another really great way to keep people small is to say, I'll hurt your children. You know, you, you are not big enough or good enough or whatever enough to keep those that are dependent on you safe. So therefore, you'll be okay, but I'll go after them. Okay, well, uh, you know, there's nothing that is more defeating than to feel that you have not been able to honor your children who you love more than your life. So that would be a really good box that would be hard to get out of because then you start running in circles, doing any stupid thing to try to protect these children because they don't deserve this. And perhaps you can justify that you do. Oh, well, I made this mistake. So I deserve to have this punishment. They didn't do it. So I got to do everything. And then, you know, the frantic, the panic, the bad decisions start piling in because you're no longer operating in your higher self mode with your guidance and in alignment. You're just open for any kind of suggestion. And um, they're happy to oblige you with things that will send you off deeper into the darkness. And we need to remember that our learning doesn't come when everything is just hunky-dory. Our learning comes when we are accepting a challenge and move it and then doing using what we have learned to move through it or we are new to challenges and we are learning how to gather the information that we need to move through it but learning doesn't come when you just give up and be desperate or when you are just living that sort of nothing's happening kind of life you know just a rigid sort of existence because you're so afraid of challenging yourself. I always say that you learn the most when you're the, when you're uncomfortable. Discomfort yeah. creates discussion, which creates you learning, which creates discourse, right? So you're in a situation because if I look at my life, I could probably pinpoint top three. I could pick three situations where I'm like, I was really at a low point in my life, but I can also tell you what I learned from those three situations. Now I can take three successes and I can tell you how I felt, but now if I were to tell you what I learned, it's a little bit more difficult. And it goes to your point about coming out of the, identifying the box, coming out of it and realizing what do you want to do next? And I love that through our initial meeting, you mentioned that you have a spiritual side to it. Tell us about the spiritual movement in regards to that. It has become my everything. It, I, I cannot imagine living my life without the help of these angelic beings. Now, I'm able to hear them, so that is easy. They're always chattering along. But it is like having your best friend 
who also happens to be able to see the big picture and is 100% on your side and uh, can give you great advice without shaming or blaming you into accepting it. So you are completely cocooned in love, but you are also given the information that you need in order to make better decisions. And you're encouraged to keep growing because they will remind you over and over and over again. You can't get it wrong. You can screw up, you can appear to fail, you can take your time, go the wrong direction, do U-turns all day. You just can't get it wrong. In the mind of the divine, you are already perfect. You are not complete. What these journeys are all about is journeying to the state of completion that the divine already are. So our biggest goal is to be more aligned, more like the divine, and they are only love. They are unconditional love and acceptance. So they see us as perfect. They see us as always valuable, always worthy, and always a being that they would want to support. There is nothing that we can do, no mistake that we can make that's horrible enough for them to say, oh, that bridge too far, see you later. They don't see that. They see us trying. They see that pure heart, that essence of who you really are. And they want to encourage that. So there's never in a time I grew up with a lot of shame and blame. That is completely disappeared from my world now. I, I can't imagine shaming someone into doing something. I'd rather encourage you, uplift you, show you everything you're doing right, get excited with you about what you've been able to achieve. And okay, if you stumble over there, hey, as soon as you can, pick yourself up and get back in the game. What did you learn from stumbling? Oh, maybe you need to pick your feet up more so that you don't trip over that route. Or maybe you just need to rely more on that angelic guidance so they can tell you, hey, there's a boulder up, a, up ahead and you can run around it instead of trying to run through it. <laughs> So for me, having this angelic presence with me, and we all have it, I am not unique, not special, not somehow uh, born under a lucky star. This is something we all have access to. We just aren't taught that we have this access. And one of the reasons is because people in power like to stay in power. So if everyone is told hey, you've got this incredible support team, you may not need that person who is depending on your dollars to stay in their position. So, and some people are just ignorant of it as well. It's not always that. But know that there is nothing that I have that you cannot have in some form. We don't always have the same connection. But Everybody has a connection. So I 
so depend on their um, their help, their guidance, their their fun. And I just encourage everyone to seek that for themselves. Find the way that's going to work for you. And it's going to be one of three ways. It's going to be either you will be able to see them, not as though they are a separate energy. Usually it is more of an, uh, an inner kind of awareness so that you have some people see it so clearly that it's like looking at a TV, but it's not a TV that would appear in the physical world. It's in your, your inner awareness. So you could see them, you can hear them, or you can feel them. But I guarantee you that every single person has that available. What you may not have is an awareness or enough room, let's say, in order to feel them. And by room, I mean, we all come as these beautiful connected beings as children. And then the experiences that we have through that childhood, uh, um, through our childhood, determine how much we stay connected to the angelic realm and how much we crowd it out. But even if you've crowded it out completely, you just do some clearing. You just make the decision that you want to welcome these beings back in and you have room again. So think of it as a glass. It can only hold so much water, but if you empty the water out, it can hold more. And that's kind of the same principle. It's no one is ever cut off, cut off and this is the most what I would consider some of the most vile human beings are still connected. Their connection may be minuscule because they have chosen to go so far away from the ideal, which is unconditional love and acceptance, but it is still there and they will be welcomed back just as you are at any time they choose to open up again. Was this something that you always had with you? Sorry, let me rephrase that. Was this something you knew you always had inside you? And when was the first time you realized it manifesting and then ultimately being on display for not only yourself to know, but for the world to see? Okay, well, that was part of my falling off the cliff. So when I was in my teens, we had Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. I don't even know if that book is still still in publication. And Kreskin was bending spoons. No, Kreskin was doing uh, ESP and Yuri Geller was bending spoons. He was, this was the big thrill of, of my teenage years. And everybody, and it, there was no such thing as um, being a clear audience being, you could be psychic which there were some very prominent psychics. Um, Sylvia Brown was around at that time. And what they can call the veil or the space between ourselves and the angelic realm was much 
thicker. It was a, a much more difficult journey to try to receive the answers. So we had no such thing as spirituality. It was sort of that uh, a pseudoscience. It was called, oh my gosh, what did they used to call it? But it was very poo-pooed. I mean, you know, you just, only those weirdos did that. But I was so intrigued. I loved all of this stuff. I could not get enough. And so I was always like sort of sneaking over to the dark side to find out more about this world. And uh, so I took a course called Silva Mind Control. What was it called? Um, and it was all in the mind. Now I'm a psychology major masters in psychology, you know, thought the brain was everything. I worshiped the brain, loved the, the whole idea that you could have special needs children and their brain would function differently. And I just, you know, I was just completely consumed by how we thought and never paid much attention to the role of the heart. Now research shows us that there is actually more neural pathways going from the heart to the brain than there are from the brain to the heart. So the heart has more control over what we think than the brain does over how the heart operates. But getting back to being a teenager, I took all of these classes and you know I just went as far into the that world as I could while still trying to maintain the I'm a professional kind of person, I'm going to college, I'm going to be a teacher, and you know, I'm gonna hoo-hoo. But I also have this really incredible interest in this whole psychic field. And oh, parapsychology, that's what they used to call it. It's not real, it's a make-believe. So I started experimenting with all these different things and it was sort of became Marsha's parlor trick. I could receive these long handwritten messages and they would be startlingly accurate as to what people may be going through as, as well as this pretty uh, intense wisdom about how they could get out of the situation. But, you know, it wasn't considered something that was had value because it was parapsychology. It wasn't real. So, you know, off I go uh, back into the brain because I had sort of been done. I was done experimenting. I had finished my master's program. I needed to get back to teaching. I needed to become an adult. I had to get a real job. You know, I couldn't do any more of this stuff. So I just kind of fell away from it, fell away from all these magnificent practices and all of this information. And the further that I fell away from it, the more that I became open to seeing myself as unworthy, which had always been a struggle for me, being not really fitting into the mold of my family, seeing myself as unworthy was something that was quite familiar. So I kind of backed away from all of this area where I really excelled and kept trying to squash myself into this mold that would be more acceptable. 
And the further that I backed away from it, the more times I fell off the cliff because I was giving away, you know, all of my ability to be me and trying to be someone else. And it, we all know that doesn't work well. So it wasn't until my mid 40s that I started coming back to it again, just out of desperation. A friend introduced me at that point to EFT, which is a, a tapping modality. And that kind of led me back into my communication. I picked up the, the meditation and the writing with my angelic helpers and began exploring that started reading every book and every branch of every library I could get my hands on about spirituality. And I just started coming back to me, coming back to the place where I could be who I was supposed to be. So it was a long journey, <laughs> a lot of twists and turns, but I am so grateful for having the background in teaching and for the angels to step in, even though I didn't know it was them, they stepped in while I was teaching and would give me these incredible methodologies that I was just used to think to myself, oh, this is so great. I'm such a great teacher. <laughs> I don't know where this came from, but oh my gosh, this is amazing. Now I realize, of course, it was just big. I was being given all of this wonderful information that would help each child where they were. And it was all about building their self-esteem. And truly, those children taught me more than all of my education <laughs> because one little guy came to me. I was teaching third grade. And this is way back when end of grade school tests first started being given. It was the first year and you could either get a thousand dollar bonus for each teacher or you could get put on probation. So this school system found enough money to hire me so they could get that thousand dollar bonus. So I was the adjunct teacher for third grade and I taught all of the children who were falling behind in math and reading. And so I think, you know, here I am, I'm this great teacher because I just have these great ideas that come out of nowhere. And so I say, well, I know how I'm gonna start this year. I'm gonna give them this simple math lesson because it'll make them feel so great about themselves that they'll really wanna stick with me. So I do this simple lesson that I think, you know, kindergarten kid could figure this out. I hope they don't think it's too simple. And that I hand out a worksheet and say, okay guys, you know, show me how great you are at math. Well, we were working in a janitor's closet, a cleaned out janitor's closet. So, you know, the space from there table to my little desk was like this big. So I went from the whiteboard to my desk, which is you know, like maybe two feet. And by the time I sat down, here comes this little guy. And I'm like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> I must be better than I thought. But I look at him, I'm like, uh, doesn't look like he's too happy. Heads hanging down. 
paper on one hand, little pencil stub at the other, just face. And he's, <laughs> he's like the Michelin man. And somebody unfortunately dressed him in stripes. So here's this little round ball. I'm like, oh, how do you think you did? And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be great. And he looks at me and he says, oh, I already know I failed. I was like, oh no, you're not allowed to fail. I, I'm the failure in this room. You can't fail. If you fail, then I have nothing validating me. And I just thought, oh no, what should I do? What can I do? What can I do? And in that moment, they said to me, do the paper with him. And I thought, okay, kind of feels like cheating, but okay. So I get an eraser and it, I'm like really scrambling because I want this kid to be okay so badly. He is my validation. So I'm really scrambling. I'm like, oh, I don't think you're, that's correct. Let's take a look at your paper. And it was just horrifying. They were horrifying. Like, oh, get the eraser, erasing on everything, thanking God it's in pencil. Like, oh no, I don't think you quite understood what I was asking here. Let's take a look at this. So we start doing it together and, you know, we get all the answers right because uh, he's got me with him. And I'm looking at this paper and it's now almost complete and it's all correct. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I gotta build his confidence a little bit more. I mean, yes, he is helping me get the answers and this is not just me telling him the answer is five, the answer is two. It is him really working through these problems. And I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? And they tell me, put a big C on every problem that he's gotten right. So I get the most colorful marker I can find and we start putting a C on every, and his little eyes get big. And I'm thinking, look at all these problems you got right. And he starts to straighten up and he's feeling a little better about himself. And I say, okay, now you have one left, you try it on your own, go back to your seat and try it on your own. And he goes back to his seat, I'm thinking, okay, God, you don't have to answer another prayer. Just please let him get this one right. If you don't do anything else for me in my entire life, I need this kid to win so badly. So Marcia, did you, did you think that um, you were put in his path to help him reach this level? Because it sounds like you were helping him in more than one way. I think we were put in each other's path because what came from here was, okay, so he comes back, he gets it right. And then they tell me to put a hundred on his paper and an A plus. Well, this child acted like he had won 16 lotteries at once. He looked at that paper and he was like, and then he Stunned. Looked at me. yeah, he looked at me and he said, I've never gotten a hundred before. Well, what I didn't know is he was one of the 
less um, advanced, put it nicely, students. And so when the other guys heard he got a hundred, they were like, what? He got a hundred? I want a <laughs> hundred. And that's the beauty of it. Everyone gets a hundred, right? Because they're, it's like, and you've probably seen this with people you've helped, right? One person does something, you celebrate, everybody celebrates. Yes, because then the policy became no paper would go home without a hundred and they would give up snack and recess and lunch to come work with me to get that hundred. And by the end of the grade test, they all passed with an 85% or better. It was the most astounding thing I had ever seen because doing the work over and over again meant they really learned it and be, knowing that they were going to get a hundred instead of being shamed meant they were no longer afraid of learning. And that's the thing, like they don't, they don't have the shame anymore because, and you've, and you've probably seen this in your experiences, shame is, is such a sharp sword when it's used to attack us. And one thing I want to ask you as you're telling that experience is when I hear stories like that, in my mind, I think that you're bringing that person closer to their energy. Or as you mentioned, since you mentioned spirituality, you're bringing them closer to their gift because you're expressing your gift, you're tapping into your gift, and the overflow of energy is helping this young man turn around something that he felt he couldn't ever do. And now he's inspiring everyone around him because now everyone is being rallied around him. Yes, yes. And you know, Wayne Dyer has this incredible quote, and I'm not going to do justice to it, but he says that everyone who holds a high vibration of love and continuously comes from that loving place affects not only their own being and their own heart, but positively impacts 750,000 other people. So the way we're going to change the world is not through war. It isn't through... Um, movements necessarily in terms of, you know, uh, protesting and that kind of thing. It is through love. If 750,000 people are affected by each one of us, how quickly can we change the world when we agree to stay in a loving place instead of a painful place? And that means that you yourself have to agree to love yourself. You've got to get up in the morning and say, wow, I love you. You are amazing. I'm so proud of you. And you know, one of the most beautiful things happened one of the young women that is in one of my sessions said at the start of our previous session, she said, you know, I was just kind of sitting here thinking about how much progress I made. I'm so proud of myself. I." thought I was going to float through the ceiling. I was like, yay, yay. This is what we need. We need more people who feel good about themselves because somebody 
has explained the truth of the divine to them instead of shamed them with scripture that may or may not have been translated correctly. So I think it's really important that we understand that religion can be a valuable tool. But again, if it contradicts what your heart already knows, then it's not correct. It has been a, uh, fooled with over so many years. Pieces have been put in and taken out. It's been translated so many different times. We're not getting the pure version. So if your heart is rebelling, it's rebelling for a reason. And you need to listen to your heart. Your heart is your connection to the divine. And they don't lie. They don't change. They don't cheat. They are only good. They are only love. And they only desire for you to, to excel. So if someone tells you that your choice of partners or your choice of vocation or anything about you is too shameful for the divine to accept, they don't understand who it is they're talking about. Marcy, how would someone like myself tap in into that energy um, from the gift that each of us are born with or the gift that each of us have been um, blessed to create within ourselves? How do we tap into that energy? The most important thing you need is a willingness. A willing heart will get you further than anything. And don't be afraid to experiment. You know, I just love the fact that we are able to make mistakes and go completely kooky. And still, there's no real um, punishment. Punishment doesn't come from the divine. Punishment comes because we are believing that there is something wrong with us that we need to be punished for. So if we stop holding on to when I make a mistake, I deserve to be punished. Instead, we begin saying to ourselves, I can make a mistake and learn and not have to be punished for that mistake. Instead, I'll hold on to what I've learned and know that the next time I don't want to, to do that that way again. There is something that I know from my own religious experiences. There's Jesus was quoted as saying, go and sin no more. And so that was used as, oh, you're such a shameful sinner that you would do this. And it was designed to keep people down to keep them viewing themselves as not good enough. But if we understand that sin only means mistake, Jesus was really saying, okay, go forward from here and don't keep making the same mistake because you're going to keep getting the same result. And then you realize, okay, that was just good advice. That wasn't shame. That was just darn good advice. <laughs> you know, I wish he had come forward earlier and said, you know, uh, if you keep doing that, you're going to fall off the cliff again. Instead, I would just fall off the cliff, <laughs> believing that there was no other way. So we need to just be open, be teachable, be willing, and not afraid to experiment. <laughs> I'm gonna go